0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the fourth episode of Slasher Saturday. Joining me, as always, is my best friend and my wife, Eleanor. Hello. And I am one of your hosts, Derek, and we are movie fans, TV, and horror movie fans who like to talk about the things we love and would like to share that love with you. On Slasher Saturday, we hit stop and rewind on the VCR so we can look back at some of the most classic horror movies of all the horror genres throughout each generation evaluate their impact on the horror movie landscape at the time, and how well it holds up today. This week's episode, of course, is the 1984 Wes Craven film, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, this movie was a film that I was introduced to pretty young as a kid, maybe when I was like six or seven. I wasn't necessarily sheltered from horror movies ever, so I was actually introduced to this movie a little bit after Scream and Halloween, H2O... And uh, I think actually Jason X I saw before A Nightmare on Elm Street. But this was a movie that when I saw the trailer, uh, it actually scared me. Specifically the bathtub scene where the hand is coming out between the girl's legs in the bathtub. And uh, that was something that was different than Jason and Halloween and Scream. So I was a little skeptical at first going into this movie but uh ever since i saw it i watched all of the sequels and i've loved freddy krueger and most of the nightmare on elm street movies ever since and eleanor when was the first time you saw this movie
1: well i believe you're the one who showed it to me the first time (laughs) okay
0: so early in our relationship probably so about six years ago
1: probably yeah i would say probably around that time um, I had not ever really been exposed to horror movies as a child. I was more sheltered from them. I think the most uh, horror, I guess, quote unquote, and that's very loose, I would say, for movies that my family really watched were apocalyptic movies, and those horrified me as a child. So Yeah,
0: there was a big time where the apocalyptic genre was the genre of horror movies. Right,
1: and I was horrified. And then you get into these kind of movies... And I had never really seen a slasher movie until I got with you. And then it was like, oh, by the way, there's a whole new world that you haven't seen. <laughs> right,
0: because when we were like pre-teens probably, or right? maybe even teens, was when the reboot era was coming out. And if you had ever heard a Nightmare of Elm Street, it was probably the reboot, I imagine.
1: Yeah, um, I had never actually really... Like, I'd heard of Freddy Krueger and I'd seen pictures of him. Like, I had seen the gloves with the right, knives it's an and, a, and the sweater and all that and like i'd seen kids dress up as him for halloween but i never understood it the same thing with Ghostface, like i'd seen people dress up as it for halloween but i never understood it but when i saw this movie uh it freaked me out i would say because dreaming you would really hope is something that's secure to you and is something that is like Kind of sacred that you're not really going to have something just pop up that can kill you. You always assume when you're asleep, you can wake up and you're safe again.
0: And it's something that's inevitable as well. Something that's part of daily life is sleep.
1: Right, exactly. It's not something you can really avoid. I think
0: Safe and sound in bed while not so safe. (laughs)
1: I'm pretty sure, I may be wrong on this, but the average human can only survive 11 days without sleep. It's
0: something like that. Yeah, Yeah, I
1: think it's 11 days without sleep. At least that's what Bear Grylls told me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Bear Grylls is never wrong.
1: <laughs> no, never. <laughs> All right, guys. So, A Nightmare on Elm Street is a 1984 American horror film directed and written by Wes Craven. The film features John Saxon, Heather Le- Langenkamp, Renee Blakely, Amanda Weiss, uh Zuju Garcia. I, not I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but we'll just put both pronunciations up there. I apologize in advance. Robert England and Johnny Depp. This is actually his first feature film debut. Introducing
0: Johnny Depp. Yes, yes. because and he
1: was a young teeny bopper and they needed a young handsome man for the film. <laughs> right, and
0: of course Robert England got the last credit officially when the movie came out. It was Robert England as Fred Krueger, I believe. I believe and so, yeah. Heather Langenkamp. I was so surprised when she wasn't the first name. No, built. the first
1: one is the dad.
0: Right. Which of course he's a big actor and he's a much bigger actor than Heather Langenkamp right. at the time. But I was surprised that she was at number three. Right. when i felt like she was kind of the star of this franchise she in yeah definitely ways.
1: she's your lori strode if you will a little bit yeah definitely uh this movie is set in the fictional midwestern te- <laughs>
0: <laughs> the mid <middle of> <laughs>
1: <laughs> midwestern town of springwood ohio and the plot revolves around several teenagers being terrorized in their nightmares by the ghost of a child murderer named freddy krueger craven produced a nightmare on elm street on an estimated budget of just 1.8 million and the film earned back its production costs in three days the first three days of release
0: which was huge for horror movies at the time
1: yes and because huge for new line cinemas as well
0: the horror movie genre was kind of running stale at the time where a lot of the halloween movies sequels that were coming out weren't as satisfying and weren't as big a hits at the box office same with friday the 13th where a lot of the sequels were kind of running dry and the slasher genre at the time was a little bit dry with a lot of just stalking the babysitter type movies
1: Right, and this and kind of revived it. a bunch
0: of Halloween
1: clones. Right, and this kind of revived it. This film grossed $25.5 at the United States box office. Nightmare on Elm Street has become one of the most popular entries in the horror genre. And the film's villain, Freddy Krueger, has become one of the most well-recognized villains in cinema history. Both critics and Craven have mentioned that the film owes some of its success to John Carpenter's Halloween, which came out in 1978, which was hugely influential in spawning a long line of slasher films, just like you were saying, and originating, <laughs> originating many cliches found in low-budget horror films in the 1980s and 1990s. In 2021, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being, quote-unquote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant i heard you have a fun fact for us based upon history
0: so during the time Wes craven was conceiving the idea that was a nightmare on elm street a real life tragedy took place where a family that will pretty much remain anonymous and i can't remember exactly where they are from but it was a story where a boy was trying to stay up as long as he could because whenever he would fall asleep, he felt like he was being chased by a figure that was trying to kill him. And he told his parents that he was afraid that if he fell asleep, the creature or thing would find him and kill him. And he, I believe he ended up staying, staying up for around 11 days at one point. And when he finally did fall asleep, the parents were relieved, of course, because their boy was finally able to fall asleep and hopefully feel a lot better when he woke up unfortunately for some reason he screamed in the middle of the night and when the parents got to his bed they found their boy had passed away and when Wes Craven heard that he obviously thought about what that must mean and what that boy must have been going through and decided to use it as a part of the movie as well as the Elm Street part of it Eleanor
1: yes so if you didn't if you aren't aware um, for anyone who doesn't live in the United States we had a president the 35th president of the United States John F Kennedy was actually murdered on November 22nd 1963 and he was actually murdered on Elm Street in Dealey Plaza on and that, that day. is
0: where Wes Craven said the world's innocence died and he wanted to use that as a theme for this movie as well as the fact that elm street is the most recognizable street name in the united states so not only playing off by the tragedy of the assassination of our president but also the fact that a lot of people can relate to the name alone elm street
1: right like i had a family member who lived on elm street when this movie came out and she said that it was really creepy for her to hear about a movie that came out you know, kind of on the street she lived on.
0: The film opens up with a 15-year-old girl named Tina Gray, who has a disturbing nightmare in which she is stalked through a dark boiler room by a figure with distinctive razor-sharp knives for fingers on his right hand. And if you haven't seen it at this point in the movie, you've certainly heard it this if you got surround sound on or you're wearing headphones it's it's definitely gonna yeah it's gonna make you cringe make you kind of look away from the movie you're just like oh god i feel that in my brain
1: yes it does definitely feel that way (laughs)
0: just as he catches her however she wakes up screaming only discover four razor cuts in her nightdress, identical to the cuts in her dream.
1: Right, where real-life happenings happen from your dream. Even that opening scene for me was pretty big because you get some confusing imagery with there's a sheep running around this boiler room, and it almost makes you feel like she's a lamb, kind of like how they depict innocence and in lambs, and like she's losing her innocence almost in that beginning scene. It's already starting to leave her because or of this. Or
0: that innocent is being led to the slaughter
1: pretty much yeah exactly right and it was a
0: great way to introduce freddy in the alley and in the boiler room where you can't really see his face all that much and another weird one that was greatly used with prosthetics was the long arms and doing a little bit of research into this film I guess Plastic Man from the DC Comics universe was one of the inspirations for Freddy's nightmare sequences where he's able to extend his limbs in various ways. And I thought that was really interesting.
1: Can we just take a minute and talk about Freddy's look too? Because this first opening scene is where we really get to see it. I mean, his razor blade hands apparently were based upon a fear of cats from being scratched by cats by Wes Craven as a child. and
0: he was also staying up and watching infomercials that were, at the time, and as well as the early 2000s, selling knives late at night. And obviously knives are huge into the slasher genre, so that was another part of it was like, okay, this killer's got to have a knife, but what if we use an animal that actually scares me? Kind of like Batman using bats... To scare his own victims.
1: Right. And then the hat was kind of based upon a drunken neighbor that used to watch Wes Craven, which is creepy as hell that you'd have a drunk neighbor watching you with that fedora.
0: It was either a neighbor or a homeless guy in the neighborhood, one of the two. But he was wearing a hat like that and staring at Wes Craven's house in the dark. And you can't really get a good look at him, obviously, in the dark. And that is part of the reason why, in a lot of this movie... Which, Freddy is not prominent in this movie. I believe he's only got like seven minutes of screen time. Very impactful seven minutes. A lot of it, oh, definitely. But a lot of it, you can't actually see his scarred face. A lot of it's just a dark figure. And it kind of adds more to the fear, which is later horror movies like The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2. James Wan uses a lot of what you can hear... And what you can kind of see to terrify you, your own imagination to terrify you, as opposed to just showing you every single detail.
1: Right, exactly. And then also, his sweater is red and green, which some of us may associate with Christmas time. But also, apparently, back then, there were scientific studies done to show what colors in combination together is unsettling to people. And apparently red and green is one of those combinations, where the colors don't really stand out together. They kind of blend together, and people can't distinguish them as much. And it's just like, what the hell am I looking at? Because I remember when I first saw this movie, it was just more like, oh, he's wearing a red striped sweater, but I can't really tell what else is there. It might be gray. It might be black. I, I have no idea. But it turned out to be red and green. And that's very unsettling to some people, apparently.
0: The next day, she finds out that her friend Nancy Thompson, played by, of course, Heather Langenkamp, the star of this franchise, really, behind Freddy, experienced the same dream. Fancy that. That night, Tina, Nancy, and her boyfriend Glenn Lance, played by Introducing Johnny Depp, have a sleepover to make a distraught Tina feel better. Tina's rebellious boyfriend, Rod Lane, who looks a lot like Ralph Macchio in The Outsiders. Yeah, he totally does look like
1: one of The Outsiders. Totally looks like a greaser.
0: Crashes the party and goes to bed with Tina in her mother's bedroom upstairs. Now, of course... That's one of the horror movie tropes where teenagers are having promiscuous sex and, of course, Johnny Depp is trying to get in with Nancy and she's saying, no, because she's a good character. So you feel like, okay, she might be safe. She's not having sex yet. You know, as Randy would say, you have sex, you're going to die. I was about die. to say,
1: Randy, like Randy pointed out in Scream, you can never have sex and everyone throws popcorn at him. He's like, it is one of the rules. Now,
0: obviously, we know Scream was not released yet we know it's a Wes Craven film it is our first episode in this series but it is funny to see some of the things that Wes Craven has made fun of or at least poked fun of while still using at in his later movies that he's done in his previous movies I really like Wes Craven films (laughs) oh
1: yeah he's very self-aware I love it however Tina has another nightmare and this time the killer catches her and brutally murders her right then and there and this is a scene where they used practical effects for this but it looks perfect. The room actually because she goes up the ceiling she's dragged up the ceiling as she's being cut open by Freddy Krueger and Rod can't see her She flies up the ceiling, and it's actually them rolling the entire set and her rolling up the wall. And they nailed
0: all of the pictures and furniture down.
1: And the cameras to make it so that when we see it, it just looks like she's floating. But in reality, that poor girl is rolling (laughs) up that set. (laughs) Which is
0: just crazy, but it's such a good scene,
1: I think I remember the actress also saying that she got, like, vertigo or something from it, and Wes Craven was like, he, like, poked his head in the window and was like, no, no, no. see, look, this is the floor, this is the ceiling, we're good, everything is good.
0: (laughs) And you see about, this is only about 15 minutes into the movie, and we've already gotten one of the most iconic kills in a horror movie, in my opinion.
1: Oh, yeah, because it is very brutal and bloody. Just my opinion. And uh, Rod, being the only other person in the room at the time, is suspected of the killing and is arrested the next day by Heather Langenkamp's dad.
0: Right, and he tackles her, pulls her into the woods, and you can see, obviously, she's distrusting of him, but she doesn't know for sure whether or not he is guilty.
1: Right. She doesn't immediately think that he is the killer. He just wants... She just wants to know the truth and her dad is kind of just like, you can't trust this guy. Nancy then has three violent nightmares in which she is viciously attacked by the same terrifying figure who attacked Tina. These nightmares lead her to talk to Rod in prison, who tells her what he saw in Tina's mother's bedroom. The dismay of her mother, Marge, Nancy becomes increasingly convinced that the figure appearing in her dreams is the person who killed Tina. Nancy and a skeptical Glenn rush to the police station late at night to talk to Rod, only to find that he's been strangled by his own bedsheets. To everyone except Nancy, it appears to be a suicide. For me in this scene, it was pretty creepy because you could see the bedsheet kind of whirling like a snake around Rod's neck while the other police officers are trying to tell Nancy, you know, it's he's fine, he's asleep. And then she's like, will you please just go check on him? I'm telling you there's something wrong And then her dad goes, fine, and they all go down there, and it's too late. I mean, he had just barely been strangled. His neck had snapped. His body was probably still warm hanging there.
0: And I think that's kind of where the dad even begins to question whether or not he believes his daughter. Because how on earth could someone in a cell go outside of the cell to tie the blanket outside and lift himself up you know what i'm saying like he right. can't be in two places at once
1: it's very hard to lift yourself like that it's not like he had a chair kicked over or anything because i mean it's not like he put up a chair tied it and then kicked the chair out no, which is what blanket, most people suspect
0: right the blanket was tied outside the cell
1: yeah and it looked like you can't it's hard to pull yourself up and also be strangling yourself at the same time so it, I right. think it would be fair to question at this point right. who actually was the killer.
0: And he obviously was not everybody's favorite character. And Nancy certainly was not the biggest fan of him. But when she finds him... Well, first, when she sees him in the dream and she's at the cell house or jailhouse and she sees Freddie go into the cell and kind of smile at her through the window or whatever, she knows that he's in danger. And she knows instantly... Okay, he obviously did not kill Tina. And right. at that point, his death obviously hits her really hard. And she has to carry that guilt throughout the rest of the movie because she feels like it was, in a way, her fault. And also, an innocent guy was not just wrongfully accused and arrested, but also murdered. And there was nothing she could do.
1: Right. Even though she felt like, she, you know, I really hope that she felt in that situation that she did everything she could have. Because she got down there, it's just no one would listen to her. Right. Nancy's mother takes her to a dream therapy clinic to ensure she gets some sleep. Once again, she has a horrendous nightmare. This time, her arm is badly cut, but she also finds that she had brought something out from her dream. The killer's battered hat. It arouses concern, but also other feelings in Nancy's mother, who is clearly hiding a secret. She also has right. a lock of like white hair at this point, and uh, when you are in this sleep clinic, like the doctor's like, I've never seen anyone's readings go this off the chart. I don't right. know what's they going said, on. I don't
0: remember the exact numbers by any it means. It was like so...
1: 20, 30, 35, and yeah, it was going and, up. And, and they
0: said normal sleep was, was like, like, like 10. A, yeah, something like that. And she was like three or four times past that. So they knew right there, okay, she's asleep, and she's not making any of this this up. And then when she pulls the hat out of her dreams, her mom still, for some reason, doesn't believe this poor girl. And she's like, Mom, I'm naked under here. You know, I didn't bring this in. How was this thing instantly in my bed?
1: Yeah, it's like I didn't pull this out of my ass, quite literally. Like you I pulled saw this out of my dreams. I
0: had no cuts. I didn't cut myself. I was asleep and now I have cuts. And right. now my hair is turning colors. I'm aging due to stress and lack of sleep and fear.
1: Yeah, right. And I love how in this movie, um, in the very beginning, Heather Langenkamp looks young, well-rested, and then toward the end, like, that poor girl could probably pack for a trip in the bags under she those said, eyes. I look 20. Oh, yeah, and that was a little funny because uh, the actress was actually 20.
0: Was she? Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she was, I was like, oh, they put that in there for us.
0: <laughs> but yeah, she did look like 2022 because of all the fear that she had went through. Poor girl.
1: Yeah, she looked like a typical millennial working 12-hour shifts every day. Like, poor girl. And eventually, Marge, whose drinking habits have increased at their highest point at this point in the movie, reveals to Nancy that the owner of the hat and the killer was a man named Freddy Krueger, a child murderer who killed at least 20 children over a decade earlier. Furious, vengeful parents burned him alive in his boiler room hideout when he was released from prison on a technicality. Now it appears he is manipulating the dreams of their children to exact his revenge from beyond the grave. Nancy's mother, however, reassures that Nancy that Kruger can't hurt anyone, pulling Kruger's knife glove from a hiding place in the furnace as a visual aid.
0: Yeah, so what did you think about that scene where Nancy comes home, mother!
1: Oh, and and my child talked to me like that, I swear to God.
0: (laughs) And she's just like, come downstairs, you want to know the truth, I'm ready to tell you.
1: Oh, the the mom at this point, I think, was the most sympathy I could have felt toward her throughout any point in this film. Because other than that, I just kind of saw her as a drunk and just kind of not really doing much momming.
0: And that's when you get the whole origin story of Freddy Krueger and what he did in his life prior. Killed 20 children, and they didn't explicitly ever say killed and molested or killed and such and such. It was just murder. It was just a child murder, and they killed like twenty children in yeah. his boiler room, where he called where he called them, you know, his children, and that was the name for his victims. And of course, he got led off by a technicality because someone didn't sign a paper.
1: Oh, I love that line that she gave. What was it exactly? is the um, Nancy asks her. So did they did they get him? Did they do anything? And she said, Well. The lawyers got fat, and the judge got famous, but unfortunately, he got away because they didn't sign the search warrant correctly.
0: At the right time, yeah, in the right exactly. place. Yeah,
1: exactly. And it was like, that is something that would totally happen in real life's legal system, and it has happened, and it is very frustrating, so it does make this feel a lot more real world.
0: And it was like, it kind of reminded me of, like, Haddonfield with Michael Myers, but Springsfield gathered together, and hunted Kruger down to his boiler room where he'd been taking quote-unquote his children and surrounded the building with fire and a trail out the door and set it on fire and they all watched it as it burned and right. then that's when she said something along the lines of like and now he's gone honey or he's gone baby like mommy he murdered him yeah he can't hurt you anymore because mommy killed him
1: and I'm just like uh, how it's much like, more evidence do you shit. need? Because she just not only oh, admitted yes. See, to a murder, but I she even pulled took out his knives.: evidence. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I even took his knives. <laughs> and that's when Heather Langenkamp's character, Nancy, realizes, okay, so yeah, that's the knives I've been seeing in my dream. That's the knives that killed my friends. And this is the same man who is burnt and wants revenge against my family, my parents, my town, and is taking it out on me. And I'm the last one alive
1: right exactly well she's one of the last ones alive at this point nancy devises a plan with glenn to catch kruger but glenn succumbs to sleep and is viciously killed by being sucked into his bed and shot back up in a fountain of blood now this is another one of those situations where they use the room that turns upside down and they shot that geyser of blood back out toward the ceiling and it looks gruesome
0: and it actually did take a couple of shots. There was one time where all of the equipment was drenched and ruined.
1: Oh, no. Yeah,
0: so that was a big scene to film. But the way it came out is just perfect. I mean, it is so iconic. There's nothing like it.
1: Yeah, right. If you like, that's probably one of the main scenes that I pull away from this movie and think about for a long time. Is
0: it a little over the top? Absolutely. Absolutely but that's what freddy krueger is even in the first even in the first scene with freddy which the humor was definitely dialed back you know it wasn't at the point of (laughs) but we're still seeing him like flick his tongue and taunt his prey and he's still showing personality he's just not necessarily the wise cracking Freddie krueger that we know right. and love later
1: i would say the most over the top thing in that scene is the fact that johnny Depp not only needs his tv on and his record player but has all of this shit just strewn about <laughs> everywhere i'm like how i have the same question as his mom how do you listen to your tv if you're listening to your records
0: <laughs> well i just watch the tv while i'm listening to the records <laughs> Yeah, exactly i've done that fuck yeah
1: I just also like the only it must be a guy thing, right? The only reason why this movie is dated at all is because all of those things are separate devices and it's not like I have my iPhone X sitting on my lap with my AirPods in. Instead, he has a full-ass record player and a TV and a phone.
0: <laughs> but we must say rest in peace to Glenn. He was an iconic character in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Well, not too iconic, but his death was as iconic as his life. Nancy is then left alone with Freddy after pulling him into the real world. And of course, she runs around her house that is booby-trapped with wires and sledgehammers. Like some Home Alone type shit. Oh, absolutely. And that is where we see Freddy the clumsiest and also the weakest is once he's pulled into the real world, he's just a guy chasing around a girl who's strong, absolutely, he is strong, but it's not like he can change reality at this point. You know, at least if he can, he doesn't. He's not able to completely change reality and make the stairs fall into toothpaste while Nancy's running away from him.
1: Right, and he's not able to lick her face through the phone anymore after this.
0: She runs around her house and forces him to run into booby traps that she had set earlier. After setting Freddy on fire, Nancy locks him in the basement... And finally gets her father and the rest of the police to help. And that's when she's got him locked in the basement, set on fire, and she's breaking down the windows. That, of course, her house is barred, so she can't just hop out the window. But she's screaming, get my dad, you idiot, or whatever.
1: Get my dad, you dumbass, or something like that. (laughs) Saying, daddy, daddy, I've
0: got him, I've got him.
1: And then her dad finally runs over and is like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> the house, there's smoke pouring out everywhere. At that there's... point, it's like, "Um, you should have been over there five minutes ago. After discovering that Freddie has escaped and that fiery footsteps lead upstairs, Nancy and her father, Donald Thompson, a police lieutenant, witness Freddie smothering Marge with his flaming body, disappearing to leave her corpse to sink into the bed. And I mean, her corpse is like, it's charred. It, it- looked,
0: and the not only was her body charred, But we saw her mattress kind of disappear and go from...
1: It's like a gate to hell with lightning shooting everywhere. It was her almost like her sheets watching... turned
0: into a cloud.
1: Yeah, it was like almost like watching the Undertaker come out during his intro with like the smoke machine and the lightning. Like it looked a lot like that. Yeah, or and like then her body's just disappearing
0: in Beetlejuice, where uh, the guy is reading out of the book and the married couple is summoned and then they start aging and then they fall into the floor. It kind of yeah. reminded me a little bit of Beetlejuice, like that. It was obviously great prosthetics, but yeah. The dad, what is his name?
1: Donald Thompson.
0: And, of course, Nancy. Witness his ex-wife and her mom just kind of fall into the abyss through the bed.
1: And she finally asks him, do you believe me now? And he hugs her, doesn't really say anything, and leaves the room. And after sending her father away, Nancy faces Kruger on her own. And succeeds in destroying him by turning her back on him and draining him of all the energy she gave him
0: and that is of course when she turns her back and she says i have i am taking back all the energy i gave you at this point she knows that the more i am afraid the more i fear him and the more attention i give him the weaker or sorry the stronger he becomes
1: right so the less energy she gives him the less fear the weaker he'll become
0: right and he lunges at nancy right into the back as she's going for the door and, and he disappears, he disappears.
1: The scene shifts to the next morning where it is revealed that everything was a dream as Nancy gets in a car with Glenn and the rest of her friends on their way to school. Nancy realizes that she's still trapped in the dream as Freddy possesses the car just as she gets in, meaning the hood of the... Uh the convertible top comes down on it, and it's red and green like a sweater. And then it locks, the windows roll up, and the car drives away with Nancy screaming for her mother, and Marge being pulled through the door window by Freddie's clawed hand and is being presumably killed.
0: Right. She comes out of the house, and she sees that, oh, it's light. So after Freddie disappeared, you think... Oh, it's nice. It's a nice, warm ending to the movie as soon as she's smiling and sunshine. And oh, the mom's alive. And oh, all the friends are alive. And she gets in the car, and you see, okay, Freddie's influence is still a part of this world. And they drive off. And you begin to wonder, okay, so why is the mom not freaking out at all? Why is she just completely blind? Why is she just smiling and waving? Bye, honey. I know you're screaming and crying, but bye. (laughs) Am I evil? And then she gets pulled into the house and presumably killed. So you're a little left to wonder about this ending. It's very ambiguous, very iconic of, okay, did Freddy win? Was everything a dream? Was this last part a dream? Did she defeat freddie in the bedroom and her mom actually died and then she went to sleep later and then had this as a dream it's very open-ended it's and very it's not Island. really and it's not really answered ever necessarily that i am aware of in the next installments now if i am wrong please correct me in the comments because we are doing a nightmare on elm street series and I'm not as familiar with some of the sequels as I am with the original, but of course we will get to all of them. So if I am wrong on the fact that they don't necessarily address this ambiguous ending, then please feel free to correct me uh, without spoilers if you may. Because I am a big fan of this. But I will say regarding the ending that, and it would make sense, the fact that it is a little confusing, is that due to the fact that there was a little bit of studio interference
1: Right, it's not just a DC problem, guys. There was studio interference long before that happened.
0: Right, the infamous ending was in fact a studio interference ending. The original ending was when Nancy, in fact, turns her back on Freddy and his evil, and he disappears, giving the film a more wholesome ending. And Wes Craven regrets the fact that he wasn't able to keep that ending by saying, that that's the one part of the film that he feels like isn't 100% Wes Craven. The studio wanted to actually, and you can find this in deleted scenes, where they actually show Freddy Krueger driving the car with Nancy in it. Kind of giving it an idea that, oh, Freddy is very much alive and he in fact did kill Nancy and you won't be able to bring her back. Wes Craven, on the other hand, wanted to end the film with Nancy definitively surviving with a wholesome ending instead of a dark ending where Freddy wins, but where Nancy survives and Freddy is defeated. There was a little bit of a common kind of middle ground found with the ending to this movie, which leaves some fans pessimistic, some optimistic, some positive, some negative, and I'm a little bit in between. I would say I overall enjoy the movie, of course, but the ending as well, I like the fact that it's a little ambiguous. I, I'm i a little sad that Wes Craven didn't get the ending that he obviously deserves. And of course, he wasn't the name Wes Craven at the time. So it's obvious that the studio would try to fight him on it. it it's just a little bit unfortunate that we didn't get the 100% movie that Wes Craven wanted to make in this one in particular. But what is your thoughts on the fact that the movie was originally going to have the ending in the bedroom, where it's a little bit more wholesome, Nancy defeats evil, and then the fact that the studio said, nah, because we might want to do a sequel, let's have Freddy win, and Freddy kill Nancy and have Freddy drive the car away, or do you like the ending that we got, where there's a little bit of a middle ground, where you're left to kind of speculate, Nancy won, yes, but did she completely
1: win? I I like the ambiguous ending of it in a way because it does kind of remind me of like Shutter Island where you don't know really what actually happened. It's kind of left up to interpretation. But I would say also I would have probably preferred Wes Craven's ending just because I felt like that kind of was the ending to me, that last scene. Just kind of did feel like a good ending. And then she opens up the door and it's like, oh, we're still going. Okay, so we still got one more scene left in us. And when you figure out that it was studio interference, it's like, okay, so that does kind of change the flavor of this scene. It doesn't feel as Wes Craven. You can see that it doesn't feel as Wes Craven.
0: And, of course, you had the blow-up doll for Marge.
1: Oh, yeah, that was cringy. That was bad. That was the worst effect in the entire thing. Critics encouraged and praised the film's ability to rupture the boundaries between the imaginary and the real, toying with audience perceptions, and I think that ending is a good example of that. Some movie historians interpreted this overriding theme as a social subtext, quotes the struggle of adolescence in American society and their overwhelming need to confront the harsh realities of life. Which I think a lot of us have been emo teenagers that are like, what is life? I understand it. I think we've all been there. And I think that is a very good theme that you could attach to this movie. Definitely.
0: Well, I think that's a theme that people question throughout all of their life. It's not just emo teenagers. There's I think it starts adults. in teenhood. Sure, but I question it still to this day. I know my dad still questions it you know like everybody still questions the meaning of life and the battle between good and evil will never end as long as there is innocence there will always be evil trying to snuff it out and that is the whole idea of freddy krueger and i like the fact that freddy is a slasher icon that is able to stand the test of time. Everybody knows who Freddy Krueger is, whether you've seen A Nightmare on Elm Street or not.
1: Right, I mean, even critically, it did well. The film performed moderately well commercially with little advertising, relying mostly on the word of mouth, which can sometimes be difficult if a film doesn't have legs. Variety said that the film was, quote-unquote, a highly imaginative horror film that provides the requisite shocks to fans to keep the genre happy. A common criticism, however, was that the content and amounts of gore were put off to the film. Which I think nowadays wouldn't be so much of a critique. I just think back then, the standards for gore were probably different than they are now.
0: Absolutely. It pretty much changes every few years, in fact. Especially in the 80s, where you look at the Friday the 13th movies, for example. Some are extremely gory and graphic, and some of them are a little more restrained.
1: And then you also look at Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is just known to be brutal, graphic and brutal. brutal. Yeah, exactly.
0: So overall, I would say that A Nightmare on Elm Street is 100% a movie that any horror movie fan should see. It is one of my personal favorites and is obviously one of the most iconic of all time. It is a character I'd very much like to see in a revival of some sort. Preferably not necessarily a reboot. I would love to see Robert England back. Of course, there has been a little bit of rumors and a little bit of speculation. And we'll obviously cover that here on a video on Speed Force Media. But, uh, of course, this is a movie that I adore. There's nothing I can really complain about. Sure, some of the scenes where Freddy's running maybe looks a little cheap. Or maybe some of the times where... Some of the uh, victims are running, looks like they should be running faster, kind of looks like they're running in place. But I kind of took it as that's how you run in a dream is when you're trying to sprint, you're kind of running a lot slower and you're not able to get away from the thing that's chasing you. And that's terrifying. Right. That's terrifying. And so the fact that they actually included that. Maybe some people would think it looked a little campy. I thought it looked great. There was so much iconic scenes in this movie, especially with the practical effects. We talked about the Johnny Depp scene. We talked about where Freddie is poking his face and his hands through the wall over Heather Langenkamp's bed. And when she looks, he disappears and she puts Jesus Christ back on the wall, knocks on the wall, and you hear that it's solid as it was just like liquid a second ago or spandex a second ago. That was great practical effects, as well as the body being dragged through the school. And of course the bathtub scene, there's just so many kills and so many iconic moments and just shots in this movie that was only on what a 1.2 million dollar budget or something 1. So 8, yeah. 1.8 million dollar budget so i mean some of these horror movies it's just crazy that you just open up your couch cushion find whatever nickel or dime you got in there throw out a horror movie and oops it just happens to be one of the most iconic of all time
1: Right, exactly. I will say that bathtub scene, as a girl myself, gives me the heebie-jeebies every time I see it. And it, it
0: kind of adds to the personality that is Freddy Krueger, which would later inspire, you know, so many different slashers that would talk slashers that would have a personality. Whereas slashers before a Nightmare on Elm Street, maybe there was a couple, but the big ones like Jason, how uh, Michael Myers. Leatherface. None of them spoke necessarily. Some of them grunted or breathed really deep. They were big, tall,
1: creepy dudes with masks that didn't say anything.
0: But they weren't sticking their tongues out or sticking their tongues out through the phone or even speaking or laughing or Or pulling you into a bathtub. Let alone cracking jokes.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Well, what were your thoughts on this movie? You said it was the second time you had seen it. I mean, you obviously know I'm a big fan, but Don't be afraid to tear it (laughs) apart here, Eleanor.
1: I would say I love this film overall. It's honestly a great film. It stands the test of time. I think a lot of the practical effects often look better than the CGI effects that some movies rely on now. It's like, it looks more convincing. It feels more genuine. And it's scarier. I think Freddy Krueger is honestly a creepy-ass dude, and I think that's what sells this movie as being scary, is Freddy Krueger himself being scary. The noises in this movie are creepy and unsettling, the themes and just some of the things he says and does are creepy, so I really appreciate this movie a lot, and I can see influences of it in newer horror movies.
0: There's a couple of other interesting facts that I'd like to mention before we go. Uh, the fact that New Line Cinema, although it had been a distribution company for quite some time, it hadn't necessarily produced a bunch of films. And the fact that A Nightmare on Elm Street was such a box office success that it was for its production value, it in a lot of ways saved a almost bankrupt New Line Cinema. And of course, that cinema, New Line Cinema, became nicknamed the house that Freddy built. With other franchises like Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Friday the 13th reboot, Freddy vs. Jason, Malignant, Shazam and Shazam Fury of the Gods, Blade, The Mask, It, Seven, Austin Powers, baby, Elf, The Evil Dead, and of course the one, the only, the greatest Snakes on a Plane! So without Freddy Krueger you would not have gotten Snakes on a Plane, or the very infamous and ballsy spin-off movie Snakes on a Train.
1: (laughs) Which is being made by the same people making Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. (laughs)
0: Right, which of course, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey that's gonna be a great one here on Slasher Saturday, hopefully someday. But that will do it for this week's episode thank you guys so much for being here with us today it means the world to us and if you are watching on youtube and you enjoyed this video then please give it a like and if you'd like to voice your opinion on the movie Jump down in the comments below and join our conversation. Consider coming back to the channel because we do post new content seven days a week. And if you want an audio-only version of this show, please feel free to jump on Spotify and give us a five-star review. We are also on Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, and a couple of other streaming services as well. And of course, please mention Can never forget to mention our sister podcast, which is the highlight of the week as it is every week, hosted by my wife Eleanor, Shipwreck Sunday, where we go into the history of shipwrecks and how it affects maritime travel and regular travel every single day. And if you're interested in historical facts or historical studies, please check that out here on YouTube, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Samsung Podcasts. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Derek.
1: My name's Eleanor.
0: Till next week. Bye-bye.